0: Well, uh, it seems the the tech the technology bug has struck conduit this morning. So, uh, if you didn't if you didn't know, about every computer in the whole building crashed at some point this morning, including the one that runs our projectors. And so, um, you know, we apologize for that. It's certainly not uh, certainly not Jake's fault or anyone's fault. But sometimes these sometimes these things just happen, and so we uh, roll with the punches and uh, and, and keep moving on. Uh, when we met uh, this morning in uh, in the offices to pray before to pray before service, some of the conduit kids, volunteers, and um, the worship team, we try to meet together about a half hour before service starts every Sunday morning, just to pray over the morning, uh, to pray over uh, to pray over each and every person that's coming in, each and every person that we'll be in contact with and in ministry with, and there was. Well, of course, this, oh, there was this overwhelming sense of the enemy's desire to distract uh, and, and to put obstacles up in our way. Um, and, uh, and so we prayed specifically that uh, we would have a clear path, you would have a clear path to hearing uh, and Corinthians and Thessalonians and um, took some time looking at those those particular places and letters. Um, and then we, we landed here in Corinthians over the past several months. And um, next week, we'll start our Christmas series uh, called The Stories of Christmas. And we're going to be looking at the story of Christmas, the story that we all know, right? Uh, baby in a manger, no room in the inn, the shepherds and the wise men, and all of that. The, story that, the stories that everyone knows. Um, that are famous, famously told in church, uh, in churches every Christmas season. But we're going to tell them from the perspective of different people within the story. So, what was? Uh, it's easy for us to talk about what like what what Christmas is to us, or what Christmas looks like from our perspective, from the outside looking in. But maybe, um, how different was that moment, or how different was the experiencing experience of welcoming welcoming a child, welcoming. Um, the baby Messiah, the baby king. How different was it for maybe Mary? And how, how does she process the season uh, differently? You know here she was, a young woman, pregnant. but a virgin. Explain that one to Mom and dad, right? Mm, right? Uh, pregnant, but a virgin, uh, but a virgin carrying uh, the king of kings, the Messiah. The Lord, I bet you that the story of Christmas was not warm and fuzzy for her. It was not full of great memories of family. Right? Um, it was not something that was very well enjoyed. But Mary handled it with integrity and faithfulness and courage. So uh, next week we'll talk about Mary, and then we're going to talk about uh, then we're going to talk about the Christmas story from the perspective of Herod. And what's it look like when you want nothing to do with what God is doing? When you want nothing to do with Jesus in your life and you do absolutely everything that you can to run away from that? What about the perspective of the Christmas story from the shepherds? And then on Christmas Eve, Sunday morning, Christmas Eve, we'll talk about uh, the Christmas story from the perspective of God the Father, and uh, and so we want, uh, of course, to invite you to that series, uh, to that season, and hope that you'll uh, invite your family and friends. And we believe it to be a uh, we're we're anticipating it being a great um, a great month in December and starting off the year uh, fresh with some really exciting things that we hope that you'll choose to be uh, choose to be a part of. Uh, but the, in ending our series today in the Vintage Church, ending in Corinthians, um, it's, it's appropriate both from circumstances of this morning, seeming like every single thing that possibly could go wrong went wrong this morning. Maybe I shouldn't say it like that, but a lot of things that could have gone wrong went wrong this morning. And um, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, at the end or near the end of this first letter to this church that was so near and dear and close to his heart, a church that he labored over, grieved over, encouraged, exhorted, taught, yelled at, prayed for, like the, the perfect picture of everything that is Paul, everything that is church, Everything that is life is wrapped up in the letter to the Corinthians. And then we get to this last, uh, the, the second to last chapter, chapter 15. And Paul, um, Paul takes this, Paul, Paul takes what, what is like the crown, the last thing that a king puts on, but that, but that determines the rest of his identity. Paul puts on the, the crown of the letter in 1 Corinthians. And he he breaks, out all, he breaks down all the boundaries to talk about the resurrection. And this isn't the first time, of course, that Paul talks about the resurrection in, in Corinthians. He talks about it in chapter 4. He talk, talks about it in chapter 3. Um... But what's important here about, the particular, about this particular time and place that he talks about the resurrection is the depth to which he talks about it, the place in which he talks about it, and the extent to which he talks about it. It is the thing that makes the rest of Paul's letter, the rest of Paul's ministry make sense. So if you have a Bible... This morning, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a smartphone, you have the Conduit app, there's a little tab on there um, for the Bible. You can look at it there as well. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going, we'll work down through this a little bit. Starting in verse 1. You know, let's pray. Lord, we lean, we lean so fully, so heavily upon you, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would free us from every distraction of emotion, every distraction of uh, that we've everything that we've carried in with us from the week, everything that we've even carried in with us from this morning. Lord, we lay it down, we set it down. We pray, Father, that you uh, would speak to us through your word this morning pierce our hearts with the truth of your word. Father, let everything that is in us that is not of you die so that you may bring about a resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I have preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures understand uh, you know that because we've talked about it before that there was a that corinth or the city and the people that paul was writing this letter to was an actual group of people at an actual time at an actual place dealing with actual things right it wasn't just some uh he's not just talking in some theoretical religious or spiritual mumbo jumbo paul was talking to a church who is struggling through their identity as christians and in the midst of struggling through their identity as Christians, people were sprouting up within that Christian community, having opinions on what to believe and how to believe it. Now, no one is going to deny anyone their opinion, of course, but what Paul comes along to say is that what you believe matters. It's a good word for us today, too, that that what we believe matters. There there is importance to the content of our belief, and 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 this is um, this is a little bit different than uh, what the uh, what most of the world believes and tells us to be true. I see the world tells us that it's belief that matters, right? That all you all you you understand the difference that. Let's we'll say it a little bit different, okay? Um, it matters what you believe. It's not belief that matters. Do you understand the difference between that? Meaning that, um, that, the, that the world tends to tell us that, well, if we are, um, if we are let me tell you, have you heard this? Um, just be sincere. What, whatever you're going to believe just just believe something right just just believe something and if you if you believe it with all of your heart and you believe it with all of your soul and you're really 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 sincere in what you believe that's what matters and 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 God will see that and 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 God will honor that. And what Paul says is like no 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 what what you don't understand is that it's not belief that matters, it's what you believe that matters. And and Paul says there was a there was a time where where what you believed was the message that I preached. And I don't know who has confused you, I don't know who has distracted you, I don't know, I don't know. Who slithered in and spoke a different message? But we need to come back to what is of first importance. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Verse 2, Paul says, By this gospel you have been saved. If you hold firmly to the word... I preached to you. What does Paul say? He says that the that the the um, the anchor of salvation, the anchor that holds you to the salvation that God offers is what he has preached and what you have believed. And so he's reminding the Corinthians that that it matters what kind of belief you chain yourself to it matters it matters that the anchor that you hold on to because the anchor will either hold you firm in the midst of the storm or it will drag you to the bottom of the sea and so what paul wants to do here is remind the corinthians of the thing that he has preached Remind them the importance of believing in it. Not just believing in general, but believing in it. And that it is of first importance. Well, what is of first importance in belief for salvation according to the Apostle Paul? According to Scripture, then, what is the first thing we must believe in in order to be tethered to the anchor of god's salvation it is this that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried i'm uh, in verse 3 of 1 corinthians 15. that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. There was apparently some Uh, within the Corinthian church that either didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the beginning or any longer. But what Paul goes on to do then in the next uh, really 30 verses of uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is lay out this argument for the belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found To be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Paul makes an argument here uh, based both on uh, a popular Jewish belief, but also this Greek ideology. All right, so. there was two competing beliefs in the world or in the culture at that point about the resurrection. One was a Jewish belief, the other was a Greek belief. And the Greek belief was that, um, is that, the, that there was a, an immortality of the soul. All right? So that when the, when the body died, the soul went on into immortality. Maybe a, a really simplified view of it. But that's far different than what uh, than what the resurrection is. When we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about um, the 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 body of the person that has been killed and is dead, coming back to life, being resuscitated, where there was once death, now there is life. And so the first competing idea was, well, no, there's. There's no real resurrection. What, what really happens, or what actually happens, is that the, the soul of the person goes on to live, but the body actually dies. A Greek idea. Now over on the other side um, of the coin was the Jewish idea. Paul was very familiar with this. He was a Jewish teacher. And there were several groups, religious groups, within the Jewish faith at that time um, that taught different things about the faith. Two of those groups, probably um, the two most popular, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right, Uh, and uh, the Sadducees uh, believed that there was uh, that there was no resurrection, no bodily physical resurrection at all. Resurrection did not happen. It was not a thing. It was not something to be believed at all. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they held belief in some kind of quasi-sense of resurrection, although they didn't have a very nuanced idea of what it all meant. And so both within, um, uh, within the Corinthian culture, there was these two competing views of what does it mean to be resurrected. So when so when the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ came along, it completely, uh, it completely stood in opposition to both of these views of the resurrection, that, that, that not the Greek view, not the Jewish view, but that something entirely different was happening all together. And not only was something different happening all together, but that belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, belief in the events that preceded the death of Jesus Christ was the linchpin for all Christian faith. You know what a linchpin is? A linchpin is the it's the it's the thing, right? It's the like think about um you have a, you have a, a hitch on the back of your truck, alright? And there's a little there's a little square on the back of your truck, right? and it's called a receiver and the hitch goes in, right? And you put the pin in and it holds the hitch to the rest of the truck, right? And you hook up to a trailer and you start going down the road and that pin and that pin alone is what keeps the two things connected. It's a little piece of metal, three or four inches long. But without it, you pull that pin out. And everything, chaos, chaos ensues, right? Everything goes wrong. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the linchpin of your faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the undeniable center of the Christian faith. There are very... There are a few distinctive aspects and elements to the Christian faith. And these are arguable, right? But apart from every other major World, religion, belief system, ideology are two things. One, that God became man in Jesus Christ, the incarnation. That God took on broken human flesh and submitted himself to death. And God was resurrected from the dead. Two, absolutely distinctive and central aspects to your faith and mine was the incarnate is the incarnation of jesus christ and the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and what paul goes on to say is without a firm belief in the resurrection of jesus christ the rest of our faith everything that we do everything that we practice every spiritual discipline, every single belief that you have about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, about scripture, about faith in general, without a firm belief in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of it is useless. It doesn't make any bit of difference. If you don't get this one thing, it doesn't matter what you get, it doesn't make any difference. If Christ has not been raised, Paul says in verse 17, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those in verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. What does Paul mean there? Well, So he's talking to living believers, right? And he tells them, look, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith, your current faith, the faith that you're now living, practicing in, spiritual disciplines in, it's useless, all right? But not only is it useless for you, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then the faith of those who have died already but who have trusted in Jesus Christ, it's useless to them too. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost as well. Not only, not only does it matter to you, it matters to those who believed that it happened but are now gone. And in verse 19, then, Paul says this amazing, amazing, amazing thing. He says, If only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied more than all other people. If only for this life, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all other people. Over, over the years, um, Christianity has gone through peaks and valleys of um, of uh, like, like things that they, uh, things that are really important to them, things that are not so important to them. Peaks and valleys of emphasis. What will they What, are, what, what is the church? What is, Christi- what is the big thing in church these days? What is the big thing in faith these days? And in my lifetime, uh, which has just been a short 23 years now, in, in my, uh, I shaved my beard off this morning because I, right before I was in the shower, I was like, wow! Like, I don't know what's happened in the last three months, but the gray hairs have multiplied. Uh, like, it's going bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> So no more beard for Cameron at least this morning. Um, but gone through peaks and valleys of the Christian faith has gone through peaks and valleys of emphasis over my lifetime. And one of the things that uh, one of the things that I've noticed, and I, I don't say this, I don't say this in a negative way. I think it's of course I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor. It's incredibly important to me, um, uh, important uh, to you as well. Is that um, the church has really, really, really sought to emphasize um the application the current application of scripture and uh, faith and your walk of god and your walk with god to your daily every day go to work be married have kids don't have kids life right we want to make every single thing perfectly applicable To every person in every situation, all the time, everywhere. And we feel like if we don't let you off your way on a Sunday morning without giving you three points of application to be a better person at home, or three points of application about how to be a greater employee, or a better spouse, or a more loving person to your neighbor, then somehow we have missed the boat. Now, don't get me wrong, the Word of God. is not some dead, dusty thing that has no application to your life. It's not something that is is completely irrelevant, written at a time that, that makes no difference to us. The Word of God is living and active, right? And if you allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to transform your life, you will see each and every day how the words jump off the page and are applied to your relationships and your employment and your family and your own heart. Alright? But listen. What Paul's saying here is that there are aspects of our faith that are so otherworldly that if we try to apply them only to our life now, we are to be pitied more than anyone else. And he says here. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than any person ever. We have emphasized and emphasized and emphasized and overdone the Christian faith to personal daily application so much that we have lost our sense of the eternal hope that exists in resurrection. We have become so focused on today. So focused on the hurt. So focused on the pain so focused on the brokenness that we are to be pitied more than all men. We have lost our way. We have, our, we have, we have forgotten what was preached to us, as Paul tells the Corinthians. You have, you have forgotten the thing That is above all other things. You have forgotten the most important of all important things that this world is not our home. That you, by faith in Jesus Christ, you are not a citizen of this world. You are quite it's like the worst Christian pickup line ever girl you out of this world how you doing girl but we have become so focused on the here and the now, that we have forgotten that the very center of our faith is that we have hope eternal. That everything that is broken, everything that is wrong, everything that has been destroyed, everything that stinks like the smell of death has been swallowed up by Jesus in the resurrection. It has been done away with. Now this can in and of itself be a um, it can be a discouraging thing. I, I just got done I just got done talking about how, you know, we over we over apply the eternal message of the resurrection. Um, our lives, um, but, but if we don't understand the resurrection as it is to you and I, then it becomes just one more page in a children's storybook about Jesus, right? Oh, yeah, it's just part of the story. That's a, such a good story. Jesus rose from the grave, and the tomb was empty, right? I mean how many how many times have we glossed over the truth of the resurrection without ever stopping to understand seek to understand at least the holy mystery that it is for me for you for us what Paul what Paul seeks to do in the rest of his letter here and what Paul does in other letters Book of the letter to the Romans, for instance, is give us a little bit of understanding of what resurrection is. Not just, um, not just for Jesus, but for you and I. Because everyone knows the story of the empty tomb. Right? I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. Not, not everyone Maybe not every. Maybe you're sitting here. And you're like, "Well, I don't know the story of No Empty Tomb." I don't know. I don't know the story of. of uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, today's your lucky day, right? Um. But I think in general, if you've been to you know if you've been to church, most or at all, once or twice even. If you've been to church, you probably went to church on Easter, right? And if you've been to church on Easter, you probably heard the story of the empty tomb, right? But the story of the empty tomb very rarely hits my empty heart, right? It's always a story on a page. It's always a, a page in a book that I read to my kids. It's like, it's a nice story to tell, but what's it mean, man? Like, like I am hurting. I am broken. I am dead inside, and I need a resurrection, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 like, look if you haven't noticed already, like I like you to know where I am in the scripture okay, so um, if you have a Bible or one in front of you, like my my goal is to teach you how to see this and not need me okay I don't I don't, want, I don't want you to rely on a man to receive from the Lord his word to you. Right? You don't need me. Right? So when I say I'm in verse 20, I'm, that's, that's a nice way of saying don't look at me. Right? Look at verse 20. Because right? I want you to see that this is not me. All right? This is not us, right? This is not Conduit's idea. This is not Pastor Cameron's idea. That the word of God is speaking and you can listen and he wants you to understand, right? He does not the Lord does not hide himself from you. The Lord is not the Lord is not trying to confuse you. The Lord is not trying to put a veil up in front of you, right? So that you can only experience or know or believe in him through the words or faith of your pastor. Oh, heavens, no. Okay, so when we come to verse 20 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look, um, Paul says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so this is an important idea. All right. Paul uses this idea, or he uses this word first fruit." Uh, now, obviously, it's a it's an agricultural um, it's an agricultural word, and the first fruit is um, the well, it's the fruit that's first. It's the you, right. You need a th- theology degree degree to understand that. So. That's why I'm up here telling you that the first fruit is the fir- the fruit that's first, okay? And it's the it's the fruit that is first ready for harvest. So you go out, we have a pear tree in our yard at home and we went out and we picked pears all summer and right and there was this one there was the, the one day, right, where like the first pear was ripe and it was like, "Oh, you pull it off and it's like the perfect pear, right?" And it's beautiful and it's juicy and it's sweet and it's good for eating. But then you look up at the tree and you see that there are hundreds of pears. They're not ready yet. But the first pear that is ready is the promise that the rest of the pears will soon be ready. The first pear is the promise that more is to come. Now what Paul says is that when Christ was raised from the dead, his resurrection was the first fruits of what is to come. That, that his resurrection is the, is the promise of God for the coming resurrection. Now, a coming resurrection of who? Jesus is already alive. Right? He's been resurrected from the dead. That'd be you. That would be me. That would be us. That would be all those who Paul says have fallen asleep or will fall asleep or will die in the midst of waiting for the return of Christ. Now, to fully understand this even more, we got to kind of sift through some of the other things that Paul says and will help us to get a better understanding of what this means, all right? So keep your little finger in 1 Corinthians 15, all right? But you're going to flip to your left. Two chapters. One chapter. To the book of Romans. Find chapter 5, chapter 6, Wow. And when we get to chapter six, then Paul Paul explains here um, the reality or the relationship between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and my resurrection and your resurrection and our resurrection, okay? So listen, what shall, uh, verse 1, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We have died to sin How can it live in us any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus raise your hand if you've been baptized. (laughs) Okay, this is for you. Alright. Or don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into into his death. Maybe not, the, like, maybe not the image of baptism that we all wanted to have in our minds. Baptism as being baptized into the death of Jesus. Listen, Paul's going to go on further. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that okay, listen, listen I said that but I don't want you to listen I want you to look Um, (laughs) listen to me, look at the word here in verse verse 4 we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that this is awesome just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may, too, live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Listen, what Paul does here is he, is he breaks down what baptism actually symbolizes and does and and really what it, what it means, all right? So, so if you've ever seen a baptism here at Conduit, you have this big old watering thing, right? And we fill it with water, and people get down in it, and they're up to their waist in water, and then uh, myself or Pastor Corey or Pastor Ben would, would, would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and then what do we do? We lean them back into the water, Right? And then they come up out of the water. Now when a person is dead, when they have died, when Christ was crucified and died, they took his body and they placed his body in a grave. He died. He is dead, and and the grave was like, "Ha, I got him. He's mine." Didn't you know? Sorry, Karen. The only thing that is true about this life, or certain about this life, is what? Taxes. (laughs) What else? Death, right? Certain, like, oh, death. I got him. He's dead. But in the power of God, right? It says that the power of God, the glory of the Father, raised Jesus to life. That he did not stay dead in the grave. He came up out of the grave, alive, glorified, freed from the grave clothes, right? The dead clothes that they wrapped Jesus in. Did he come out of the tomb with them? No, they stayed in there, right? Death has been forgotten. The stone rolled away. The tomb was empty, right? Because everything that represented the death of Jesus was left behind. And the only thing that mattered was from there on forward was that there was a glorified Savior. There was a glorified body. There was no stench. There was no death. There was no hopelessness. Everything that was hopeless about putting a body into a grave was now done and gone away. And so when we take someone and we baptize them, what Paul says we're doing is that we, the person being baptized, is putting to death the sinful self, right? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into death, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were put in the grave in baptism. But just like the glory of the Father brought Jesus back from the dead, right? When we come up out of the water, we are signifying, we are symbolizing, we are stating that 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 sin and that death no longer has that hold on us. We come up out of the water as resurrected people, new and clean and pure and a new creation in Christ. We have been raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father. We have been united with Jesus in his death so that we can be united with him in what? In his resurrection. Now, if we understand that our faith in Jesus Christ and that our baptism unites us both with Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, then if we go back to what we fundamentally know to be true about the resurrection and apply it to you and I, then we get an understanding of what it actually means. Now, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul had some very specific things to say about the resurrection. Starting at verse 5 of chapter 15, It says after he uh, on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the twelve, and then he appeared to the five hundred, and at the same time uh, he appeared to James and the apostles, and then last of all he also appeared to me, Paul, as one abnormally born. Now, what is Paul trying to communicate here? This is an interesting thing, um, and one that we absolutely, without a doubt, need to understand. Hey, Jake, can you make the numbers on that bigger for me? I can't see how much time I have left. Remember, gray beard, bad eyes, small numbers. Froze. It's froze. Okay. Of <laughs> uh, course it is. Of <laughs> course it is. Uh, all right. Well, 35 more minutes then. Just put 35 <laughs> minutes on the clock and... Uh, okay. Uh, um. All right. Sorry. I forgot where I was. Uh, Gray beard. Um, Okay, so, yeah, if we come back to what Paul said about the resurrection, knowing that we've been united with Jesus in his resurrection, we've been united with Jesus in his resurrection, what does Paul say about the resurrection? Well, he makes all of these assertions about the people that Jesus appeared to. Right? Well the disciples and, and and Peter and all the apostles and to me. And of course he leaves out the gospel accounts. He appeared to Mary, right? He appeared to over five hundred people, right? He talks about Jesus as if he's not just some ghost floating around the room, right? And, of course, all of the Gospels go through this same kind of explanation about the, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, going through exquisite detail for, so that the readers would understand that they were not just talking about Jesus who is just some ghost or apparition, some spirit, some immortality of the soul, where Jesus isn't actually alive. It's just kind of like the soul of Jesus and if you went up and touched him and be like you wouldn't be able to grab him but all over the gospels it's like hey Thomas put your touch my side feel feel my body feel the wounds in my in my hands let's sit down on a beach and and have a and have a meal right time and time and time and time and time again the scripture goes on to explain in detail that it wasn't just some soul, ghostly figure of Jesus standing before them as if God kind of just cheated the system. But it was the very body of Jesus Christ who was resurrected from the dead. That, that the tomb was empty for a reason. You know why the tomb was empty? Because there was no body in it. There was no body to be in the tomb because the body that was dead was now brought back to life. Now, if we are united with Christ in his death and united with Christ in his resurrection, we also will experience the same resurrection, right? Christ is the first fruit of what is to come, the promise of what is to come, the picture of what is to come, the same thing that is to come. Now, Paul goes on to talk about that in verse 35. He says, but some may ask, how are the dead raised? What, what kind of body will they come in? This is like someone asking the question, well, uh, so what you're telling me here, uh, Pastor, is that um, my great-grandma Tilly, who died 60 years ago, um, is going to come, is going to be resurrected from the grave. Well, um, not to be crass here, uh, Pastor, but um, she's probably just a pile of bones now. Or, or um, my, my grandpa, he was cremated. So what kind of body, what kind of body will, will he come in? Because if you're saying that God's going to resurrect that body, what if there's no body there to resurrect? It's kind of a silly question, but it's one that, like, I mean, honestly, I get asked, probably one of the most common questions that I get asked about death as a pastor. Well, what about cremation? What, is this going to be like the walking dead zombie zombie apocalypse when Jesus comes back? A bunch of people walking around like in their grave clothes? Well, listen, not to be silly about it, alright? But understand, what was one of the very first things that we talked about this, this morning? What we believe matters. It matters what we believe. And, and the church has done such a great, awesome job at, at talking about resurrection and as just this, as this grand spiritual experience that we've left people believing that resurrection and life eternal is some um, only spiritual existence, walking on the clouds, not having a body, not being able to recognize anyone being all like ghosts walking with Jesus in a field of flowers. Maybe you will walk with Jesus in a field of flowers. Okay? But, but here is what Scripture unequivocally communicates about eternal life. Is that in resurrection, in eternal life, you have a body. You have a physical, living, able to touch it, enjoying your food, loving your naps type of body. No gray hair in your beard type of body. And he um, he tell he told, Paul talks about this. He says, "How foolish!" Verse thirty six: What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He has determined, and to each kind of seed He gives its own body. All right. So Paul uses this image of okay like listen when you take a when you take a kernel of wheat and you and you place it in the ground you're not placing a sheave of wheat right you're 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 placing wheat right but but it's it's sown in a different way than it is um reaped than it is harvested. it holds within it the seed comes to its End, the end of its existence as a seed, but but God is able to provide the change um, uh, the, the change of, of form, the change of purpose while maintaining the continuity of identity. The self is the same self, even if it has undergone changes in appearance. The seed, the scripture says is the same, is different than the plant, but absolutely connected to it. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead, Paul says in verse 42. The body is sown, is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Listen, understand this. That the resurrection, your resurrection, the resurrection of the dead, united with Christ in both his crucifixion and his resurrection. We take upon ourselves the same resurrection that Jesus Christ does. A living existence in bodily form glorified by God himself having the same similar appearance did people recognize Jesus yeah it took them a minute right why Like, wow you're like thought you were dead dude and you look a little different and you're a little but they recognized him right the identity was still there our resurrection is the same our body is resurrected glorified existence now listen this makes my brain hurt okay um this makes my spirit stir this leaves this leaves um as many questions as it answers questions. Alright? It, it, um, it leaves me wanting more information. But it also leaves me in this kind of state of willing to embrace the mystery. Paul says the very same thing in verse 51. He says, listen. I tell you a mystery. I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we, we will be changed. I I promise, okay, here's something I promise. I promise that in my life as pastor here, as one of the pastors here, as one of the the people entrusted with teaching the word here, um, I promise uh, to do my best over long periods of time persistently and consistently persevering to offer you faithful teaching from the Word of God, to unpack and deal with as many questions as you have, as I have, as we all have about Scripture. And when it comes to questions about the afterlife and eternity and resurrection and what is going to happen next, there are many and we could stay here for days upon days upon days upon days unpacking those. Right? My commitment to you is a commitment to not dodge the questions. If, you're, if you can be patient with me in the reality that sometimes we only have 45, 50, however many minutes to spend now to deal with them. But what I really, like, those are, those are questions that are important because what we believe matters. All right, um, but here's the here's the important thing that I want to close with this morning. Um, is that in order for there, this is a little bit more uh, theoretical and applicable to our lives. But in order for there um, to be resurrection, in order for there to be a glorified existence, in order for us to live in the midst of the hope for tomorrow. Before there can be any resurrection, there has to be death. Such a painful reality about life is that before good things come, bad things happen. Right? And um, and we live in the midst every day of experiencing the death of life. Not just the physical death of life, um, but... Uh, the death of our expectations, the death of our um, the death of our relationships, the death of our dreams, the death of our hopes, the death of our opinions, the death of our self, and we oftentimes see those those deaths as horrible, um, wanting to avoid them, wanting to get away from them. God is ready to resurrect everything that has died in your life. God is, God is ready and willing and able to take everything that has died on the plate of your life and bring it to resurrection. But the question is, is that sometimes, or the, what sometimes happens is that um, we we're we're so comfortable in who we are and what we're doing in our life that God tries to kill something in us and then we go over and give it CPR, right? And we're pumping on its chest and trying to breathe life back into it, right? And well, we don't want it to die and we don't want it to die and we're we're pumping at it like, no, I got to keep this thing, I got to keep this thing, got to keep it going as it was, got to keep it going as it was, breathing life into it. And let me tell you what sometimes. God just wants you to let things die. Because without death, there can be no resurrection. And in resurrection, there is hope. There is fullness. There is peace. There is joy. There is new life. That's Paul's message. That's the message of the church. The linchpin, the center of all of our faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ to new life. Let's pray.